Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, Trunk fan, me, Master Flex himself, and Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, and I'm Bilal Zadie as always. Boys, we've got lots going on. We're going to be talking about Tiffany, our luxury fashion friends. We're going to be talking about them working on crypto punk pendants that they're selling. Uh, for 50 G's a pop, even more than that, I think. I don't know the full details. Jack's going to break it down and explain the significance of that in the world of luxury and what this might mean for the future of luxury. Um, Trung's going to be talking about LVMH, the parent company, and why they've been kind of like an evergreen luxury brand for a long, long time. Um, and we're going to break down luxury marketing as well. But boys, there's only one place to start. We've got to do a quick one because I know people have been asking us about it. If you've been following since the Sailor episode, which was, I think, three weeks ago now, we've just set off a whole media cycle, boys. What's going on? Vitalik's coming swinging, swinging on Twitter. Uh, Yahoo Finance covering and sharing NIA's interview with Sailor. What has been going on, boys? It's been a lot of drama. Well, for the uninitiated, the Vitalik Buterin tweet founder uh, or creator of ethereum was why do bitcoin maxis keep finding total clowns as heroes referring to michael sailor and the clip he was referring to was when sailor more or less said that uh, any non-bitcoin crypto digital currency was basically an sec violation and people should be going to jail for it but I, and then this was the running joke they rooted in the ten commandments law like he goes Bilal, when Bilal Zaidi said, well, you Don't know... Don't open up a can of worms, yeah. he said. Yeah. No, they go, Bilal, Bilal asked Michael, you know, sometimes, Michael, uh, the technology gets ahead of the law. <laughs> and then, isn't this an example of technology, like Ethereum, digital currency is getting ahead of the law? And Michael Silla hit back at Bilal and said, no, Bilal. These laws, securities laws are rooted in the Ten Commandments is biblical i love that the clip that someone cut said it was like ethereum and the bible or like crypto and the bible or something like that it was anyway we don't want to talk we don't want to overtake the whole conversation about um sailor but yeah i know a few people have been messaging us and asking about that um so boys let's get straight into it this week jack i know you're our our uh marketing guy i know we all do kind of parts of marketing but you worked in a lot of these work with a lot of these brands Mm -hmm. And you've obviously been our kind of resident NFT guy. So what happened this week with Tiffany and CryptoPunks and why was it significant? Let me pull up a screen share here, boys, but I'll walk through for the listeners. So I think it was yesterday Tiffany announced. Can you see that? Not yet. (laughs) And for people who Uh, are still, oh, there we go. Go There you go, right? Right. So yesterday, is this yesterday? Yeah, 31st of August, Tiffany announced that they're going to create one of one pendants representing uh, CryptoPunk NFTs. So there's an image here, if you can't see it, it's in the classic <laughs> Tiffany box and there's a, like a tiled pendant of, the, of a CryptoPunk. So the idea being that this will be sold exclusively to people who hold CryptoPunks and then they'll have the ability to redeem the NFT for a physical pendant that represents the punk that they own. Um, and there's been like, as you can imagine, there's been a uh, reaction on Twitter where people are like, you know, $50,000 for this thing, that's obscene, et cetera, et cetera. Probably not much overlap between the people commenting on it and the people that are, you know, lining up to buy the thing. Because I imagine this will completely uh, 
they're only making 250 of them so i imagine they'll they'll be gone in the first few seconds um but anyway we, we were just talking about before we got on the like some of the initial theses shared by like early adopters of punk specifically was like this is a new uh status symbol of sorts right so the same way people buy watches like fashion like align themselves with any fashion brand or buy any any product that is uh considered fashionable this is like the digital equivalent of that and this is you know a top tier brand acknowledging that um or, or proving that thesis correct i think um, is it Alexandra Arno? Is he the? Is he run Tiffany? He's, a, he's VP he's... of Tiffany. Uh, he was formerly the CEO of Ramoa. He's a son of Bernard Arno, but uh, he has been spearheading a lot of like these crazy uh, initiatives. Do you guys remember some of the other ones they did? Yeah, and like I th- with Jay Z and Beyonce. That yeah, yeah, the painting, yeah. right? The Basquiat. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's been like, um, r- like. They've been uh, like issuing subtle hints for a while. I think a lot of them changed their. Um, the, a, a few of the Arno kids had had punk profile pictures for the last few months, maybe even a year. Um, so I think the same thesis that is like pervasive in the NFT space is like crypto punks, like the original, um, you know, the the original status symbol profile picture represents like really early adopters of the space. And uh, I think, honestly, like reproducing this in um, in this format is the most uh, like it's the most naturally aligned with uh, a brand like this. From my perspective, like it's not incredibly complicated to reproduce either. It's not like these hand drawn images that you see in a lot of other um, NFT collections. So I imagine this idea has been around a long time. I think. Uh, Arno made himself one maybe six months ago or something and that's probably you know similar to what we've talked about before where you put this piece of uh, you put this idea out on the internet to try and validate demand for it and obviously that blew up among the the punk community and I think a few people reached out to get quotes to have them done custom and I think they were like incredibly astronomical uh i'm sure you can get tiffany to make something one-off for you but i'm sure it'll be uh extremely expensive so uh they're running 250 of them and i think they're also um gonna pre-select a hundred uh i imagine they're doing this for like amplification purposes where they'll you know people who have um profiles and uh reputation in the space they're going to make sure that 100 people that can amplify it are the right uh the right people to give it to so there's gonna be 150 on the free market and i don't think um well, well jack to your point Sorry, jack, just one sec. jack could you just uh, unshare the screen because I, I can't do it from myself yeah there you go let me just do it and not sorry go, go on no, try. There, yeah. no tell listeners we're, we're trying riverside this week so some uh potential difficulties <laughs> no but we're good we're here, but Jack, uh, let me uh, ask two questions, and then I have a, have a number of comments related to Bernard Orno, uh, who is the second richest man in the world, LVMH guy. And uh, the reason why I, I think it's interesting is he had two quotes about his philosophy of luxury, which I think you guys will love. Um, so the first question I had was, will you be getting one? <laughs> yeah, I might try. I don't know. We'll I see. Mean, it's a little... Uh... 
But I mean, this is like well, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Wait, Jack. Aggressive, yeah. Celia, aggressive. are you listening at this part? Uh, we might ask you to turn off the listening. But Jack, could you, if you were to buy it, would it be a thinking of like, hey, I'm going to own this punk and I'm going to own the NFT pendant from Tiffany. And then those things combine. That combined value, when you end up, deciding to sell in the future it's going to be astronomical yeah i guess that would be the thesis i don't see much like this is going to sound mad i think to a lot of people um listening to this but there's one of them that i will never okay. ever sell so okay. like that's uh like uh that would be the one that i would opt to have turned into a physical object um and i think that's true of a lot of people i don't know um We've talked about this like way back where people built brands around these images, like the, the avatar really represents a, a character that you've come to like know. And I think that um, there's something odd about that, right? It's like putting all this equity into this image and then like selling it. It's very similar to like... Uh, I don't know, growing a brand and then selling it is something that is, uh, you know, you don't necessarily aim to do from the offset. So I don't know if there's going to be that much um, secondary activity on this. I think a lot of it's going to be like, I want it because it represents a really significant moment in history. It's like crossing the chasm, right? This like nerdy digital uh, like thing that doesn't really get recognition outside of the space being acknowledged in such a significant way by like uh maybe one of the most recognizable brands in the world right tiffany that box that even that it's color tiffany like Blue. you see that color without the box or the Kinda logo like or this. the word you know it um and that's yeah yeah they, and i think that's a uh, that's like uh probably more significant to people yeah. in the community than people outside right where um people have held this thesis and like just had this feeling in their gut that these things are like valuable and this acknowledgement is uh is proving their thesis in many ways so uh i don't think a lot of them will move on but you're probably right like there are people that that use that thesis to uh like build a yeah. portfolio that is valuable that they can one day there are ten thousand uh, punks right there's so, ten thousand punks so we'll only see. 250 and like you said only 10, 150 will be up so what is that? Ten? Yeah, they they haven't released all the details on the sale. So I I believe it's gonna they're like Ethereum NFTs because the other thing uh, they'll have to do is yeah. like gate the sale to people who hold a punk in their wallet. And I don't know whether they'll I don't know whether they'll do that or not. And if they don't do that, then that's gonna be like inherently like insanely complicated on the back end. But we'll see. I, I I think it's happening in three or four days, so we can do a maybe a five minute recap on the next episode. My theory is um, they'll figure well, out I ways did a little to bit get of research. The the people that yeah, on know, will, Alexander Arno's uh, Twitter following, he follows three hundred fifty people. So yesterday, I'm just looking at who he follows. He follows research as in you were snooping. Yeah, like. I was snooping. He follows Kevin uh 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 Kevin Rose, or is that the guy who does the uh, who's the dig guy? Kevin yeah, Rose? Kevin Rose. Yeah, Kevin so Rose, I think yeah. Kevin Rose is going to get one. He also got a retweet from Alexander. Uh, Cosmo de Medici is followed by Alexander Arnaud. So I think to your point, Jack, I think yeah. if you want to find the 100 people that are probably going to get it, you, you take a quick look That's at a uh, who's following yeah. on Twitter, right? A lot of, a lot of CryptoPunk uh, avatars. Um, 
Two quotes from Bernard Arnault that I would love for you guys to noodle on. About so LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy is a three hundred fifty billion dollar holding a fashion and luxury holding company. Uh, Bernard Arnault and his family own believe fifty one percent of the company. Anyway, he's the second richest person in the world right now. So behind. And what are some of the brands? Because I think a lot of people have heard of Louis Vuitton, and they just think of. I know you just mentioned yeah. a few others, but Louis Vuitton is like just yeah. one brand within LVMH. But they're like, it's they're like the big yeah, luxury their, group. Louis Vuitton is their. I mean, it's in the name, but it's also Louis Vuitton itself is the most valuable luxury brand in the world. So of the three hundred fifty billion market cap of LVMH, Louis Vuitton's worth about fifty billion. That's uh, crazy. And, and I, I just pulled up a few just so people know. There's like Christian Dior, Fendi, Givenchy, yep. Mark Japers, Stella McCartney, etc. There's like Sephora. There's so many Tagger. Well, you want to break it down. Brand. Break it down into verticals. That, that's a great uh, call up, Bilal. So let's call it like some of the names you mentioned. Fashion is Louis uh, Vuitton, Celine Fendi. Wine and spirits, which is the Moe Hennessy part, is Hennessy, Moe, Belvedere, and Krug. And then we're talking about Alexander Arnault trying to modernize the brand. He's the one that did the deal with Jay-Z. Jay-Z for has a CryptoPunk too, champagne. boys. That was, uh, we talked about that um, way back, so maybe he'll be getting one. Yep. Yeah. All coming together. It's, it's all coming together. Blau's like the guy at the end of Usual Suspect. Jack, you know, Jack Dorsey's there the in the back <laughs> with his boy. Uh, yeah. Um, perfumes, they have Dior, uh, Girion, watches and jewelry. So what we're discussing now is Tiffany's, Hublot, and Tag here, and then retail as Sephora. So for all the male listeners, I know there's a lot, is uh, when your missus goes to Sephora. You mean the 97.8% <laughs> of male listeners we have? Yes. When you're exactly right. When your missus is going to uh, a Sephora to buy some uh, makeup that is owned by LVMH. Actually, I'll tell you one thing interesting about Tag here, the watch brand. Run by one of Alexander Arnaud's brothers, and they also tried to get into NFTs. So with all that preamble, let me throw you guys the two quotes that Bernard Arnaud, who's the patriarch of this empire, what he said. He said that there are, he says that the entire purpose of his brand building is to find stars. He wants star brands. And what he means by that is a brand that can last 100 years. So that obviously has very big implications for when it comes to uh, the partnership with CryptoPunk, right? And then the other thing he says is, this is very famous quote, he says, there are two aspects about LVMH and luxury that sound contradictory. Uh, LVMH brands are timeless, but they're also the utmost level of modernity. So let me throw those to you, to you guys. Uh, think about that. So the star... That's a bar, son. That yeah, last one that was good. A, Damn. Dude, think... So why don't... Could you say that last one again? Because I, I just want to noodle on it. The last yeah. one was very good. Yeah, noodle on it. Bernard Arnault, who, who I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. And uh, for the listeners, we have a group chat and we call him Geezer. <laughs> group chat. The <laughs> uh, uh, luxury... LVMH brands have two aspects, which may sound contradictory. They are timeless but also the utmost level of modernity. All right, so there's that quote and that they only want star brands, which yeah. is why actually the Tiffany acquisition is so interesting. Tiffany is the most expensive acquisition LVMH has ever made. It closed in 2019 after half a decade of negotiations, a lot of lawsuits actually. But the thing about that is 
there's only so many brands you can buy at that level, right? And you had to drop 16, 17 billion to make that happen. So let's start with the star one. What do you guys think about the statement, we only want star brands, or the, the, the entire purpose of LVMH is to acquire star brands? Well, I mean, they've done it. They've Jack, I kind of thought view me? both the quotes together, or like I'm thinking about how the two relate to one another. And I think that's the, that's what a star okay. brand is, right? It's like it has the staying power, but it also can like update itself constantly and remain relevant. I think those are the two characteristics that make something a lasting, like relevant for a lasting period of time. And, you know, to go back to the beating drum that we do on, on NIA every week is like these things are like super memes, these brands. Like the LV pattern, the Tiffany blue, like these, I think that like every brand within their portfolio probably has like, there's like a power law within it where they just nailed one or two things that just became these cultural phenomenons that, that carry them into the future. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty fascinating. Like the, um, what was the off-white relationship with LVMH? Virgil was the creative director of Louis Vuitton, right? And they, they acquired a piece of, of off-white in that yeah, deal? Yeah, the men's line that correct? Uh, before he passed away. And That's a star brand, right? That's a good example of, uh, yeah, like, I think off-white in 100 they, they years will still be... Uh, like, it is yeah. indicative of, like, a style and a taste and a moment in time, but it has an aesthetic that is malleable enough to stay relevant and it has like devices within it like the you know quotation marks you see those now you're like that's off-white but the style of the time and the things that are going on in culture you can take that like incredibly um like recognizable device and update it and like put it in new context and put it in different places and it's like it has this like cultural weight that carries it into the future and it has an incredible story and incredible talent that worked on it and made it what it is um i don't know that much about the more traditional brands like the louis vuitton luggage if you've ever seen like pictures like 150 year old pictures of the louis vuitton luggage stacked up and they're basically still producing the same skews as they did a hundred years ago they're like lindy Lindy brands, Lindy symbols. I, I would say like maybe Nike and Apple on like the more like premium, like not ultra luxury consumers have done a very similar thing where like they have symbols that are kind of just hit escape velocity and they can just use them in so many different ways. And it's hard to, it's hard to erode their lead, especially if it's kind of, um, the word I'm looking for. It's kind of like football clubs, right? Where if you have a brand, you always attract incredible talent. It's like at, in all of the European football leagues, like the same three or four teams like have these like 20, 30, 40 year reigns because they're like in the consciousness yeah. of, of people and all the top players want to play there. In the same way, a fashion brand, all the top designers want to go and work at LVMH or an LVMH portfolio company. I think it's similar to what we've talked about even in technology like if Facebook gets less cutting edge or perceived as like a platform that isn't doing like cool things 
you can't re- you can't retain the talent to keep it um, where you want to keep it. So I think like all of these companies play similar games. It's about like their the weight they hold in culture. Jack, just to add to what you said, the off white one is a really interesting example because. You know, the, to back to Trunk's quote, but I can't remember exactly what it was like. Classic and modern is kind of the two things I heard there, which was we want things that are forever, right? Like diamonds are forever, Tiffany. Like you think of their jewelry is made like if you've got an antique mm-hmm. Tiffany from back in the day, it's still going to be a classic thing that people want today. But the modern part is interesting because to me, Off-White is a really unique one in without knowing all the details of their for portfolio because streetwear which is kind of where it started with anyway but nowadays everything is basically streetwear um was seen for a long time especially in these circles as too modern and too like you know not luxury at all and it's been an interesting shift where people like virgil and kanye to a certain extent and pharrell to a lesser extent but kind of in that world as well that became the the call where it became so prominent across the world that that they needed to incorporate that as the new part um and it's interesting if you think from a business point of view how do you get the new stuff um you kind of need to acquire right like because the off-white one is a perfect example you need to get the talent but you need to you can't just get that one person you need the ethos of what they're building because it takes a lot more than one person um so i also think like you know it's a great marketing you know speak you know when you say uh, we all love things that are classic and modern right like on a very smaller on a much smaller scale the nia brand just since we all work on it is very much the same thing it's it's based on classic nostalgia right like our podcast logo is a joke but it's also we've all the word art is going to be a classic thing for a long time as well but the whole premise of the show Bernard, is we're talking about all the new stuff happening in the world so I'm not trying to convert our... yeah 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 <laughs> monetization I'll there we go <laughs> once, uh, once Jack buys that uh, NFT uh, t- Tiffany uh, pendant uh, we're going to get him on uh, but hold on I'm going to tell you guys a quote that I think you will both appreciate after uh, Bilal talking uh, regarding Virgil and how he's kind of streetwear a little bit more modern so this is what Bernard Arnault says about a lot of young designers he works with. So other than uh, er, uh, Ablo, he's worked with Rihanna and Stella McCartney when she was coming up. Uh, he he, he uh, says that when you run a fashion house, you're looking at the future, not the past. To attract new clients, you have to take risks. Designers like painters are more creative in their 30s. So they're courting young uh, designers in their 20s and 30s because they're just like, this is where the future comes from. but it, it, it's so it is so interesting i think uh, blah i think you said it's like when you say you're something with a legacy and the future it's kind of cheating in the way it's, it's the like best of both worlds it's like yeah, yeah you're yeah. covering the entire history of mankind it's like i got a one more quote that i love to add uh i'd love for both of you guys to talk about actually because i think this has something that, a lot to say about bernard orno's uh position in the top 10 richest people list so uh, I'll just go through the list right now. It's Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, uh, Adani from India conglomerate, uh, Arno's number two, and then you have Balmer, Gates, Ellison, Page, Bryn. Like tech, 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 Indian conglomerate, and then uh, fashion geezer, 
right? Yeah, it used to be uh, like Carlos Slim was the only other yeah. guy in there, right? Like, uh, yeah, that's crazy. But yeah. But check out this quote that Arnaud gave to the New York Times in 1998. When you cannot differentiate yourself from others with money, then you must differentiate yourself with something that indicates you know how to recognize the best. So I think there's something incredibly profound in that statement. Um, my, my question is, how well set up are these companies to actually win in this new world? And and so like the, this is just one kind of, you know, touch point along a long journey of them trying to figure it out and a partnership or whatever of, you know, one of the hottest brands in in this new technology world that we talk about every week. But, you know, if you think about like that tension between the old and new, I think they, I've, I've worked with a couple of their, I've worked with Hublot with the sea level there. I worked with uh, St. Laurent in my old job with the sea level. Well, St. Laurent's the other big luxury house, but they, they're like very much similar sort of people and they are the most careful with every single thing that you do with them right like so literally the font that your press release is going out on i think we just lost trunk um but we'll, we'll keep going until he comes back uh but yeah you know this jack i'm talking to the right person here like literally the font the the weight on the font no shadows making sure you don't um, put a picture near the logo like there's all these kind of rules you get when you work with them and and so that is kind of like the the high standards they have in their world and I think like if you compare to, and that you can't really work in that world if you're if you're wanting something new every single day I, I think because you kind of need to sit in the classic the, the classic and old whereas like the new stuff I'm, I'm curious like how they bridge that gap if that makes sense because in this world it's like there's a lot of ugly stuff right and like they need to be very selective of like the stuff they want to work on versus just like yeah I, I, you um, know I, I you know think opening up to a bunch of people to remix the way that we do in this space yeah as you were talking i was thinking about the way a lot of these brands and products propagate now is like we've talked about i know we, we know trunks feelings on this but uh tiktok and like the uh like the celebrity exponent so like i think what it's what it's done over time is like expose a different level of lifestyle to more people right like everybody sees how the kardashians live and i think what that does over time is like everybody tries to emulate that level of lifestyle to the degree they can and that um it's almost like the the best brands don't have to do marketing in that sense i think um that that's like a controversial statement because you know marketing is like really hard to define like if you invest a incredible amount of money in product and partnerships and like they obviously create um content and put it out into the world but like fashion is like such a uh i don't know such a powerful um vehicle for like product right like especially like stuff that people wear so like you'll see i think this has happened before like you'll see a photo of a celebrity wearing like some random thing and then 40 minutes later you can't get it anywhere because the way that stuff spreads around the world now and I think um, like these, these luxury brands just have 
distribution like baked in to people that are like there's like this engine of distribution built in just as a function of their like 200 year legacy right like they they do do these uh very specific marketing tactics but there's also like um like the flywheel just is, is much easier to spin because the people that are already uh already fans of the brand or already wear the brand are um recording themselves wherever they go and putting out content all the time so i think um there's some there's some interesting like to break into that category is much more difficult than to to keep your lead obviously wait jack so uh to your point if you look at uh, a lot of uh, lvmh's brands look how far back some of these brands go here are all the brands that go back at least 100 years bulgari who started 1884 berlucci 1895 tag here 1860 louis vuitton was 1854 uh, mm. Hennessy, 1765. And these guys have a champagne that goes back to 1365, like a French champagne. It's like exactly to your point, right? I look close to the I'm destroying it, but 1365. Mm. Um, well, this is. But they have Moe. Yeah, Moe. Hennessy, Moe 1765. Too, right? uh, I don't know when Moe was. But this, like, that's another good example. Like Hennessy, I think, is a kind of a fascinating one. It's like the most consumed media in pop culture. Like there's references to these brands, like music. They talk about cars, fashion, alcohol. Like this, there's like yeah, like the Henny is the tier. rapper's the rapper's yeah. choice, right? Like yeah. I heard Stormzy, the the English, the British rapper Stormzy. He has a whole song where he references Henny and he said he'd never even tried it before or something like that. <laughs> and that's how much it has star power. And I mean, we talk about hip hop on here quite a lot, but like yeah. Kanye West used to call himself Khan de Louis Vuitton Don. Like that was his aspirational thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is an interesting thing where you think like how these guys have been able to keep that. There's been that staying power for so long. Um but yeah, I mean, Jack, I'm curious because with this kind of brings us on to like the luxury marketing part we had in mind as well. Like how how do they manage to keep themselves relevant at that level? Is it just literally just getting the best talent and be, saying we started in 1776 and, you know, keeping the high quality stuff going? You know, it's funny. I think most people don't care about the age of them, like wouldn't wouldn't buy it because it's old. But like it's the the story has just got so much weight because it's old. I think like I've worked in luxury automotive and there's brands in that space that used to just sell cars so they could keep competing in F1. So like just to fund their racing team, which is what like, it's an actual story, right? It's not like, hey, let's like, start is a this car Ferrari company. you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the early competitors lamborghini's got an amazing story too the dude used to make tractors or something and uh like there was a rivalry between lamborghini and ferrari and they never really succeed in the racing world but anyway another not topic for another day but the idea that like so many of these brands have like real legitimate incredible legacies and stories i think people underestimate that and even if you don't know why this thing is significant it just became significant enough that um you don't even need to tell the story right all of that meaning gets absorbed by this symbol 
and it gets referenced by people who have the biggest voices in culture. And um, there was a point in time where I think there's probably been a bunch of like lawsuits and like brands trying to prevent their name being used in certain contexts. But I think that's becoming less and less common now. Like, you know, trying to control who buys cars, um, even secondhand for some of these brands, like there's like really incredible levels of control that go into the inventory. Like you won't get offered car X unless you've been a customer for 10 years and you bought these other three or four cars. Um, it's just, but now I don't, it's exclusivity. It's kind of like what I'm hearing, right? It sounds a bit of it. Exclusivity limited runs like, but like, cause you were saying this before we started recording that how these brands are almost like recession proof because there's always people who want to, signal and buy the most expensive stuff and often actually in recessions a lot of rich people actually get richer sometimes as well so there's even more reason i think most of the time right especially now like i think we've talked about the idea of like just technology erodes the middle and like there's just this increasing uh concentration of wealth at the top end and then when it gets really difficult to like you can, it's it's crass to go around and talk about how much money you've got, but you just buy a yacht that's a hundred foot longer, right? Like there's uh, all these ways that people flex their wealth. The have and, nots um, and the have yachts. Is that what you said the other day? <laughs> that's that's an Andrew Tate yeah. quote, by the way. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the most controversial man on the internet, but you got to drop a reference. Yeah, yeah, the are. most famous man on the internet right now for sure. Um, yeah um and uh, yeah i think it's uh i think it's interesting that like to the degree which brands try and control the image and i think like what it's really about is like how good their product and story has been for a long time because if you buy this stuff like it is legitimately superior like the quality of it is incredible and it took um I think to maintain that level of quality is a really hard thing to do over a really long period of time because it's very easy to like take a shortcut for more money in the in the short term. Like there's brands that I saw that were born 10 years ago yeah. that were really really like had were really on an amazing trajectory and then you see like what they're putting out now and it's clearly like you know probably got bought by some private equity firm you like want to you know, it's got the same logo stitched on it, but they've compromised on the quality of the product because, you know, the brand is... Because it becomes an equation yeah, versus we, yeah, like... There's, the, exactly, the there's top, not top the, end, the yeah. poetic quote from the leader like the Bernard Arnault that Trung led with. It's just like, how do we squeeze as many dollars out of the shit as we possibly can in the shortest amount of time? And it's a short-term game, which as we've referenced a million times, is a dumb way to try and make money. Um, but oh. as soon as like it's like when Costco put their their <laughs> hot dog price up, they didn't stay true to the values. I can't think of two things on two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, more I mean it's the same principle. The, the LVMH and the Costco it's hot dog. It's the same principle. Yeah. They stuck. You, they stuck yeah, to their guns. Like as soon as you start uh, compromising on that stuff, I think there's, it's really hard to measure. It's like pretty intangible, right? It's like people just know intri- like uh, not intrinsically. Like there's some like you know when a brand is cutting corners or you know when the quality of a thing is is reducing over time and uh i'm not saying that that's 
avoidable in every situation, but it's uh, like you have to have an amazing story and you have to have people that are unwilling to compromise on the journey too. Do, do either of you know who actually buys these brands on obviously it's completely different by brand but i'm saying let's say clothing let's say high like you said they're a thousand dollar t-shirt or like you know five hundred dollar yeah. t-shirt um because i've read i mean i actually did my dissertation on this but not luxury it was like f- f- fashion it was just two, two in the 2000s right so like a lot has changed since then i'm sure but i'm curious to see if you I, i'm sure one of it you changed. it's timeless <laughs> it has not changed i'm playing dumb i'm playing dumb not, <laughs> no but um no what i was curious about is like do, do have any of you have either of you read or heard about who actually buys a lot of this stuff because my understanding was actually like yeah there's there's super rich people who might buy some of this stuff but the huge segment of their customer base are just people who really can't essentially afford 100%. to buy it and they're they're kind of it's the aspirational kind of buy well dude let me hit you let me hit you with a couple of excerpts from this book i mentioned in our chat so for the listeners there's a book called the luxury strategy it's about it's written by two luxury say in the uh the lead to this book that luxury isn't uh, the key to luxury is you don't create envy you create dreams you you like you said it's aspirational right so and like hermes is probably the best example here What's interesting about all the luxury brands that we talked about, and let's talk about even there. So, Hermes sells the Birkin bag, which is a thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar handbag, handmade, and we'll talk a little bit actually about what makes it so special. But what Hermes also does, and Bilal, you probably know this, Jack, you probably know this when you travel with the missus, they sell much smaller items to get people into the ecosystem, right? My wife always hit me up. Yeah. Hey, can we get the scarf? Can we buy the scarf? Get can them we get in the funnel. Get them in the funnel. That's it. It's Jack's $1 visualized value course. That's it. Get a little taster. <laughs> yeah. No, get them in the ecosystem, right? Every luxury brand, and Jack talked about it with Tiffany, actually. Tiffany will sell you an $80, like, a wrist thing. But they'll also make you a custom. I said he's got this video he's interviewed. He says the luxury brands, he wants up to a million dollar piece of jewelry. So they want, and uh, uh, Alexander Arnaud in a, um, at Oxford Union to be accessible. And this is the key quote that I think you guys will really enjoy. And I'd love to see the noodle on this. From the book, The Luxury Strategy. They said the key tenet of luxury marketing is this. The, um, you want the ratio of the amount of people that know about a brand to be massive versus the amount of people that can afford it. They're like, that's the ratio that drives the industry. So I think, Jack, you kind of mentioned a lot of this. Yeah. Like you want to be super well-known, right? And uh, you obviously want to gate it, but you still want some accessibility so people can keep dreaming they can acquire it. Yeah, like any luxury car brand is a good example of this, right? People watch F1 on Sunday and like kids put a poster up in your bedroom wall they'll do like a Puma trainer or like some like polo shirt that you can buy in a sports shop. But then the cars start at 300 grand. And it's like the, the idea that that story captures someone when they're younger. And then the people that do go on to have like obscene amounts of success, like call back to that moment in time where they're like, 
oh, I really loved brand. I really love car manufacturer X and the story. Like the romance of that carries through. And I think um, you have to have the right, the right like amount of belief and, and uh, commitment to the story and everything you do because that, when you start to lose that, like that, that you know, it trickles into um, the people that want to be associated with it, the people that want to wear it, the people that want to drive around in it. Um, it's, uh, I do think there is like a escape velocity at a certain point though where a, a, like certain brands, they just feel like they, they can almost do no wrong there's there's so much of a meme behind them i do think in fashion there's been a few examples and maybe uh like maybe i don't know enough about fashion but like um the maybe top like the higher tier premium brands that can really like overcook how accessible they make stuff and then that that kind of reduces the appeal at the top yeah devalues the brand yeah and i I think the other thing is that discounting as well so go, go ahead no, I was going to say a lot of the high-end brands like make their margin on like perfume stuff like that. Like they're making losses on some of the products they ship. Like their runway yeah. stuff is like incredibly well, like difficult Ferrari, to make, right? incredibly expensive to buy, but they don't make any money on it. But then they'll sell like a two-dollar bottle of perfume for a hundred and thirty bucks. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, well, I, I, th- but, I think just, it's perfume and uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're subsidizing the like high end of the business and the like, I think that's pretty amazing. Like that's, a. um, this is not, uh, maybe that's what the great brands have in common. Like they, they built a business to subsidize doing the thing that they really love to do. And like, if you see some of these runway shows, like the care, the love, the thought, the time that goes into every single detail, like architect in the space, making the clothes. Well, this is not like a private equity rinse and like try and squeeze cash out of this thing deal. And like, there's like, there's something really inspiring about that, like regardless of what it is you do, because there's maybe this idea of like something that isn't commercially viable by itself is indicative of like a love for the thing beyond making money. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've had to build a business to support this thing that you really love to do that wouldn't be economically viable by itself. And to make it economically viable would be to compromise on the quality of the thing. Um, I, I think think Kanye West that, said but- it, Jack. Ralph it Loren. ain't Ralph, Ralph though, Loren, if you, you remember mean? that classic interview, yeah, which was yeah, yeah, where Sway yeah. was saying, why don't you just print your own t-shirts, whatever. And he was like, it ain't Ralph though, because he went mental on him because uh, he was like, the quality, the stitching, the you know, the processes, Ralph Lauren, yeah, yeah referencing well, Ralph Lauren, yeah. Well, another, there's a great, uh, I'll, I'll have, there's this, Kanye spoke at Cannes, like with Ben Horowitz and Steve Stout, like what probably, a combo probably by the six way. What years a, ago so it was a, a, it's a great panel. talk like you have to you have to look at it but um he talks about like partnering with like adidas gap you know get like these um people that have taste and ideas that need to plug into infrastructure to get them out to the world like if your brand is big enough like 
uh, Kanye West could do a collaboration with, you know, Tide Pods at this point, and like they would, you wouldn't be able to get them. You know, that's just endless <laughs> yeah. possibilities. Just yeah. you, I don't think that's been true in smells, history you before. You smells different smell drops, right? Yeezy Pods. You, yeah, uh, I will buy them. You guys, would, you, I kind of want. Would you guys be open to me tying this all together with uh, the the Air Mares bag? Because I think the the yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, let's let's hear it. Everything everything Jack is talking about, Bilal, you've mentioned is uh, you know, what is actually luxury? Like what makes it special? I think the Birkenbag is such an interesting case study. Uh, here's another quote you guys will love. So Axel Dumas is the CEO of uh, Hermes. This is his quote. He says that the purpose of their products is to create desire. So they want people to want it, right? And uh, a lot of the lessons in the Birkenbag itself, which is considered the gold standard for fashion luxury, is the type of stuff that you'll see in what we've discussed uh, in the CryptoPunks, uh, a, a Tiffany collaboration. It's like these things have a long history, right? Uh, Birkin and Hermes have been around. Uh, Hermes has been around since 1837. So this is actually interesting uh, regarding the CryptoPunks. In the Ethereum world, CryptoPunks is that, right? It's like the equivalent. Would you, would you, uh, we've talked about this before, but. Are you saying that CryptoPunks are like the Birkin bag of Web3? No, they're the, is that they're the Hermes brand. Like, clip it, boys. Clip it. Mark yeah. Clip, Mark <laughs> Clip. There we go, I added it. There we go. <laughs> no, it's the Hermes. Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, if, if, well, we always joke about how Ethereum is speed running the finance industry, but let's say that every year since Ethereum has been around, we just call it like dog years, like 20 years. Like crypto punks are like the Hermes of that uh, society universe. I mean, happy to hear some pushback yeah. on that, unless you guys agree. I'm not pushing yeah. back. Yeah, in the short <laughs> history, we, we yeah, here we go. In the short time we have, um, yeah, I, and I guess that comes back to what I was asking earlier, which is in a if what drives luxury fashion, luxury brands is aspiration. You know, that desire that you mentioned yep. and That's long, sure. long history, the Lindy effect of that and what drives the new stuff. I think there is always going to be that. That is always going to be the case. It's like a human trait to want something that is rare and yep. um, whatever. At the same time, in a the, the segment of population are kind of normally more early adopters versus like, you know, older people, laggards equivalent. Right. Well, so there's gone. No, I'll say, Bilal, something to keep an eye out for is to your question of like, what about the newer stuff? How do they kind of gain traction? and, and kind Yeah, of I mean, like bored, bored apes. If yeah. you think of bored, if we were placing what is a bored ape, I mean, maybe bored ape is the off-white the equivalent, you know, the way yeah. we described it of like, okay, they're not, they haven't been around for 300 years, but they were the hot shit for, for the last year or whatever. And the question is, will they have the staying power and is there a equivalent of a Virgil that actually keeps it going? Because that my, uh, something we've talked about on the pod a bunch, obviously, is like what actually gave any of these things value in the first place in NFT world anyway, mm -hmm. was, was it primarily just number go up and the the fact that you think you're going to be able to sell it for more to someone in the future or is it you really love this thing and it and it signals certain things the way that luxury fashion does i think they can all be criticized right like luxury we've talked a lot about the good parts of luxury but 
the cynical side is oh it's really terrible and it it's makes people want stuff yeah. they don't waste it's the money waste is the it is they charge $500 for a t-shirt versus 20 from Uniqlo is it that much better proportionately right and like you know obviously it's not literally that X um, better quality but you're also getting all the other things which is the signaling well, the fact you feel like a boss etc gone it's to your point it's like let, let me ask you this question so one of the things that makes the Birkin so special and a lot of luxury items special is that they have a founding story, right? They have like a special founding story. So the, the, the Birkin bag founding story is that the CEO of Hermes was on a flight in the mid-80s, 1981, sorry, early 80s. He's flying from Paris to London when actress Jane Birkin, who uh, I don't know if anybody knows Jane Birkin, but do some Google image searches. Uh, Jane Birkin was on the plane and complaining that she didn't have a bag that could carry all her stuff. And so the CEO for Hermes is like, wait a second, I have an idea. And then that's the founding story, right? Whether or not that is the truth. So the question then becomes to Bilal, uh, Bilal's question. Okay, will Bored Ape have lasting power? How do we feel about Bored Ape's founding story? Uh, how do we feel about it in the narrative of 2021? It definitely was the thing, right? It was like that crazy, I mean, that's the thing. crazy I think the year. story the story will only be like you know 5 10 20 years from now to look back if let's say nfts were a much bigger part of society the way lots of people think it might be and 2020 or whenever what was it 2020 i can't even keep up with the date 2021 was the year that popped off 2021 uh, 2021 that was yeah. the nft craze yeah. yeah the first big year nfts popped off yeah Will it be the historical thing where we're telling those equivalent stories? It might, might not be the same founding story of the people who designed the art and stuff like that, but that what it signified the same way a punk is not you're not buying it because it's the best art in the world. You're buying it because it was the original and it had a story in its own way. Right. I mean, I don't mean to judge the artwork, but you know what I mean? So um, and I'd say actually Bored Apes actually look pretty cool. Right. Like they actually do have some creative flair or whatever. But again, most of the value was because they became the hot thing. People were buying them because they thought they were going to go up in price. I'm not saying that's the only reason, but that is clearly a big part of it. So if there is this thing in the future, then the story is kind of being written as we speak. And were yeah. they the first ones to create a movie and become the decentralized Disney like we spoke about? And you were you were there when you bought one or you had the power to buy one 10 years from now and display it on your wall or whatever and have the Tiffany you know chain on you you know whatever it might be so I think it's just it's quite hard to obviously judge uh, you know something that's been around for a few years versus a 200 year brand but I, like I, I like a, the exercise 800 year old champagne boys <laughs> yeah yeah go on Jack let me let me drop a little uh, little stat here this is not investment <laughs> advice but as you were talking below it's like how many Birkin bags are in circulation? What's your boy's guess? I think it's single digit thousands or something crazy. Is it crazy small? According to an analyst quoted by the New York Times in 2019, there are more than 1 million Birkin bags on the That's market. Crazy. So That's crazy. That's mad. All right. They made us I said that just because scared. the way you asked the question. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, actually, Mate, so. How many crypto punks are there? How many there? of those on Trump. Canal Street, wow. though? Let's be honest. Wait, actually, Jack. <laughs> So Jack's just pumped. Yeah, not investment advice. Don't go buy the pendant. Okay, there we go. There was here. the punchline. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me, okay. Jack just dragging the Birkin bag through the mud here. So let me throw two things to throw up there. All right. I'm going to say two more things about how Birkin, uh, well, three things. Number one, uh, the, the first one being, 
why Broken Bank is so valuable. The quality is super high. Jack talked about this. So, uh, although I did not realize the number that Jack put out because there are only 200, the, the only 200 people a year are making Broken Bags. They each take 20 to 25 hours to make. But apparently over 30 years, there's been a million of them. So that's one thing, right? These broken bags do take uh, you can't just well, buy one. True. You can't just buy one. I thought you have to get an appointment. No, this is what I this. mean. There's like a long yeah. way. Hold on, but Bilal, this is what I'm going to say to to add to the, uh, if we look at uh, ahead of some of the stuff you mentioned, if they have the lasting power. The Hermes thing, like you said, is insane. You can't just walk into an Hermes store and buy a broken bag. They tell you when you can buy it. It's to, They completely flip the model on its head. And the only way you are allowed to quote-unquote buy a broken bag, you have to have a relationship with the store staff and the stores themselves. And, I mean, how do you start a relationship? You got to start buying. buying on eBay. Yeah, exactly. And you got to start buying the stuff we talked about. Like my wife's been asking, hey, can we get an Hermes scarf? Like, can we get an Hermes? She wants to get the snowball rolling for when that Birkin bag day comes. But uh, is there any of that that we see where the buying models completely flip? Like there's scare. Okay, one thing is scarcity. You can't actually get something. Then there is no. We're making you wait for us to ask you to do it. Are we seeing any of that? in the CryptoPunk board ape world, which could signal some lasting power. Mm. I mean, there's definitely, there's like, you know, the concept of a whitelist. Yeah. You heard about this? Well, can you explain? So it's yeah. like, you're gonna, yeah. So the idea is that you would pre-select addresses that you're going to allow to mint the thing. You might even create like a window, um, like a, a separate time where that can happen. So basic like attempt to, manipulate network effects right you get the people that have a voice and like the people whose wallets are being watched by 50 different apps and then once that signal pops that like you know influencer x just minted this project then everybody rushes to the thing um but i think what's interesting is like now we are seeing the story thesis become um more prevalent you know the brands or the the projects the artists the 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 things that have a an interesting founding story to your point trung um whether that was through like just being in the right place at the right time or having like done something for the first time i think um those things are all being uh things are being scrutinized more than just like oh, there's so much attention on this thing that there's the likelihood that you're going to be able to make a profitable flip of an asset just based on the pure fact there's more people coming to this platform every month is no longer the case, right? It has much more to do with what does a brand stand for, who's running it, how well are they telling the story, how good is the product, all of that stuff. Um, and I would much rather make a bet on... Um, like the significance of like the historical and cultural significance of an asset than you know here's five anonymous people and they're going to execute an incredible video game in the hardest possible market to crack in the world uh but you know people are going to do it that's not that's not saying that they're not going to that's not going to happen it's just that i don't have the conviction to bet on any small group of people that are doing that yeah fair what I think Jack, you kind of brought up something there, which is 
like you, when you were saying that, it made me think of you said the word asset, and if you think of like a lot of these luxury goods, a lot of people obviously use the bag and they wear the fancy watch or whatever. But if you speak to a lot of people, I mean, you might even have a fancy watch, both of you guys. And when you buy the watch, you're in your head, you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good investment. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to sell this you're in the future if I need to. It. You're not going to lose yeah, money. Yeah, that's yeah. what they always say. Right. And I think that's the, the kind of mental gymnastics you end up having to do to convince yourself to buy something like that. And I'm curious, like, how much of that is going to be similar in this world, right? Um, and I think, like, well, the boys, more if we... You say it... Yeah, go on. No, sorry, Bilal, you finish. No, 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 go on. I think I was finished. I was going to say, like, the real NFT maximalists are taking the view that objects and, like, art and, like, assigning ownership to a unique thing is a harder form of currency than a database where the number can change on any given day, you know? Yeah. Like the ability to dilute a currency, um, even as an artist, even as Hermes, if you think about that in the context of NSTs, every bag they make is diluting their currency, every single one. So mm, it's like, yeah, that's a good way it's monetary it. policy. The way you think about it is like, is there enough demand for this thing where like increasing the supply by 3,000 isn't going to like have a impact on the, the value of this social currency and that is like the same consideration that Jerome Powell has to make when he's like let's bang another you know trillion dollars into <laughs> whatever market yeah somebody make a, for a meme of somebody printing up yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so I think that like well I think that's what like that's why NFTs got popular so fast too is because people really can grasp that idea better than they can like staring at spreadsheets and charts and like issuance and reading white papers. It's like, no, there's 10,000 of these. If there's more than 10,000 people want them, the price goes up. That's it. Not investment Jack? advice, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got, I think we got bull NFT. Sorry, sorry, let me make an, Jack, let me make an edit to that. More than 10,000 people that can afford no. to buy them. They're willing to oh, buy yeah, them. That's true. Just single-handedly save the ethereum well actually well, i'm gonna give us credit we, Bilal, you open with uh, michael Saylor, vitalik beef out there go look when our podcast came out and go look at the ethereum price chart <laughs> somebody clipped that for us the the sailor episode was the bottom of the not, market man not investment advice uh, Here's me boys, home, uh i got a boogie uh, if you guys uh, want to keep uh, uh, recording, you definitely should. Um, I think we good. Take off, uh, Jack, is there anything uh, else? I think we nailed it, yeah, boys. Yeah, we I think we nailed perfect. it. No, I think that it's perfect. It's perfect. We'll pick it up next week. We'll do the the sale of Italic. Sale of Italic. Because I'm sure yeah. we need more time for it to marinate. Because you know, uh, it's still what's going his name on. got involved. Super Maxi Max Kaiser. Max Kaiser, Max Kaiser, Kaiser saying, yeah. tweeting out, Metallic is DAE date. I'm like, yo, relax, man. Keep keep my name out of your mouth. I don't want to be involved <laughs> in this. Uh, but um, let's do that next week. Yeah. I think this, I, I think, think this was a good the, chat. The good chat, here, boys. boys. And uh, yeah, if you made it all the way here, let us know what you think of this one. Thanks again for being here. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week on the next episode of Night Investment Advice.